notes. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at one verse this morning. Verse 6. <laughs> Half the church just left. That's pretty good right there, huh? That's not too bad, all right? <clears throat> all right. So we've been in the process and looking in Ephesians chapter 4. There's a subject and a theme. The theme is oneness. All these verses are pointing us to the one. But first we looked about the one calling, the calling that God places on all of our lives to serve. We're actually going through all of this today in Sunday school. In fact, the Sunday school lesson today was this. Al has already preached my lesson in Sunday school, haven't you, Al? Oh, look at there. All right. Man, that guy's awesome. You come anytime, Al, anytime you want to. You need a lunch or anything? All good? Wednesday, I'll take you to lunch. All right. All right. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, what we're going to be talking about today is one God. Verse 4 and verse 5 are talking about verse 4, the Holy Spirit. Verse 5 is talking about uh, the Lord himself. So we looked at the, uh, the life of Christ and, and what that means to have one Christ, one example for us, one uh, Savior for us. And so after that, in my own clay, is it still not working right? I don't know what it is. I guess it's just me. I got, I've got replugged it back in, and I'm checking on that. Is it better? Is it better now? All right, I'm just going to keep going. Folks that are listening online, I know there's a few. You just get me every other word. You'll have to, like, read my lips and stuff, all right? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. One God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and through all. So we're going to look at the second part of this verse next week, about the one Father. Today what we're going to focus on is one God. One God. De Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So this is called the Shema, all right? And so, or the Shema, depending on how you interpret it or read it or whether you're from the south or whether you're from the north, all right? What it is is it's a mantra that was taught or the Lord told, God told all of the people of Israel to teach to their children. He goes on after verse 4 to tell, to tell them how they should do that. He says that basically you're to take the name of the Lord himself and you're to put it on your body. You were to wear it around your neck. It was supposed to be on your forehead. It was supposed to be on your hands. It was all these different places that you were supposed to... What does that mean? Does that mean that you literally had a tattoo or write this all over your head or wear it around your neck or have it on your hands? No, it was showing us how we're to do that. It should be the very forethought of everything that we do in our mind, right? As we wear it around our neck, it was a symbol of who we are in the presence of the other people that we come in contact with. Everybody should know that we're a believer and follower of the Lord God. And then when it talks about on our hands and our feet and stuff, what it's talking about there is how we do the work that God has called us to do. So as we live our lives out each and every day through the work that we do with our hands and the walking and the going of, of our lives, we're to be an example of a believer and a follower of the Lord himself. And so this was the very essence of who the people of God, the Israelites were. So Jesus comes, and Jesus, through the New Testament, and as he's sitting down, as he's sharing, and as he's teaching, he says, love the Lord your God. This is found also in, in Mark chapter uh, 12, okay? And it says, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So these are the five mantras that come out of this as we are followers of God and as what Christ has given to us. So Deuteronomy 6.1 tells us that there is one God, one God. And then in Mark 12, 29, Jesus answered and said, Foremost, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul tells us this, Yet for us there is but one God. So how many times does Scripture tell us? Scripture tells us in the Old Testament. Scripture tells us in the Gospels. And Scripture tells us in the New Testament and the writings of Paul that there is only one God. Now, do we all worship the same God? Does everybody in the world worship the same God? No, we don't, do we? we? We call this God by different names. False fates would call him everything from Allah to multiple gods. In fact, there are so many faiths out there like Buddha, uh, Buddhism and Hinduism that believe in multiple gods. So we're calling for one triune God, meaning this, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've just gotten those in three verses in the book of Ephesians. So we're talking about the Trinity here. So why is it that people say that we all need to just get along and worship the same God? Because it's not the same God. Not the same God at all. And so when I say that we are worshiping God, I'm talking about the I Am. The one who calls himself Lord of Lord, King of Kings, and what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that he is our creator, our origin, or our existence. So the very being that we are comes from God. We have to, you know, science, everything in school that we teach our kids today is about how we evolved. We evolved from something other than that which needs a creator. The problem is, is that if you take that all the way back, they can't tell you exactly how that all started. They think they got it all down to just milliseconds before it all started, but they can't quite figure it out how it did happen. Because you understand, they believe that this big rush happened and everything was thrown out into space, all in order, all in the right place, all moving in the right ways, but they don't know how that happened. In fact, the very thing that they say that threw it all out, do you realize there has to be an opposite reaction for that. So there had to be a great sucking in just before the, everything got thrown out. But they don't ever talk about any of this stuff. See, we can't explain it all because why? Because it was created. It came into being in a way that was different than what we think. We think we got it all figured out. Scripture tells us that we don't know God's thoughts and we don't know God's ways. I'm not denying science here. I'm not telling you that things haven't changed over the course of the history of time. But what I am telling you is that there is a creator. That there is an origin of our existence which we don't acknowledge today. That we don't want to worship and we don't want to try to understand. Why? Because it takes away something from us. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But when we believe in something beyond ourselves, that means that we must rely upon something beyond ourselves. And when we rely upon something beyond ourselves, that takes all the power away. It's your life, isn't it? It's your money. It's your time. It's your talent, right? You're the one that labored over all this all these years to learn how to do this, right? So it's all ours. 
If that's true, and if we're at the center of everything that we have in existence, then we are living self-centered lives. And if our lives are centered around ourselves, then we better be perfect. And we are not. So what does our life do when it comes in contact and it's self-centered with other people? It either positively or negatively affects them. So we have to replace the center of our lives with ourselves. With, I mean, get off the throne. We have to take self off the throne of our lives. So God the creator. Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. He blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, there's order here to this. The order is, is that God said, let us make man in our image. Those are plural. Do you get that? So, this is why we know that Christ and the Holy Spirit were active at creation. God had a plan from the very beginning. That plan was to send his son to die on the cross to redeem us from our sin. He knew how it was all going to play out. Almost kind of like a Georgia fan would, right? We're going to lose at some point in time during the year, right? And just like a Braves fan. It doesn't matter if we made the playoffs, right? We're going to bomb out in some way, shape, form, or fashion. It's just going to look bad. It's not going to end well. So we just know this from the beginning. God knew it from the beginning that there would be sin in the world, sin all, all to lose. Even the Florida fans are bummed today, right? We've got a house full of Florida fans, too. They're all bummed out. Only the Auburn fans that are sitting over here are delighting. And that's just because they didn't play. <laughs> he said, in plural, let us make man in our own image, in the image of our likeness. And then he what? He gives us dominion. Meaning this, he gives us rule over this. We're responsible. It's not our job to muck this up. It's not our job to go out here and just do what we want. See, self-centered life says, I can go do what I want. There's no repercussions for that. We cannot. Our job is to have responsibility here. He's given us rule and dominion over this. We're to care for it, for every aspect of it, all life. And I won't go through and read all that again. But he gave us this kind of authority and dominion. So in other words, the authority from God is then given to us, which is the second part right here. We have one creator, our origin and existence, and we have one authority. He requires our reverence and our awe. We've lost this in the world today. There's no reverence or awe from God. It's amazing to me, totally amazing to me, and in my lifetime, the name of the Lord, how it's been taken and trampled. I'm only 52. I know I look older than that, and I'm like walking around today like I'm older than that, but I'm only 52. And in my lifetime, I've seen where you could go to a movie and have them not, they, they would use four-letter words, but not use the Lord's name in vain. 
or not flippantly use the name of Christ. And now it's every other line in a movie. And in fact, there for a point in time, it was a point of emphasis, I believe. Just to take the Lord's name. Can't say the four-letter word anymore, but you can take the Lord's name in vain and trample him. And it's okay. It's all totally okay. We have no reverence and we have no awe for God. The creator, the one that brought us into existence, we deny him and then we take away what we think is what we're doing is taking away his authority. We're placing that dominion in our hands. Why? Because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel better to think that we're in control. It makes us feel better to think that we can explain everything. It makes us take away the doubt, but it also denies the existence. If we think we have the answer, then there's really no problem. But that's not reality. Reality tells us, shows us, and gives us over and over throughout history that we're wrong in this. And if we live our lives going towards that direction, there's an emptiness, there's a void. I don't know if you guys have seen, you know, pop cultures everywhere, and I know that you can get all kinds of different stuff. I'm not telling you to go out there and just start reading everything online and try to, try to you know, make some kind of sense out of it because I don't think that there's a way that we can humanly make sense on it. But what I have seen in the last few weeks and months are some people in the Hollywood culture come to the reality that there's something beyond themselves. And there's been a lot, of, I don't know if you've read this, but there's been a lot of stars over the last few weeks and months who've gone back to church, who've reintroduced God in their lives. Kane West says he's not singing anything but gospel anymore. Have you heard some of the stuff he's saying before? Kanye. Sorry. That's how culturally relevant I am. And it, and a good word. I should bring you up here for an interpreter for me. This is what he really meant. <laughs> this is the person he was really talking about. Is it Demi Lovato? Demi Lovato. Really proud of you. Yep, yeah, Demi Lovato. Same thing. She went, down, she went to Israel and was baptized in the Jordan River. I mean, think about this stuff. In other words, these are people who culturally were popular and put all kinds of stuff at the center of their lives, whether it be themselves or the things of this world, and then realized that it was empty. You know what she said? She said, I'm filling the God-sized hole in my life. That is total testimony right there. Total testimony. So guys, we have to realize this. We have to see there's only one authority. He desires and is worthy of our reverence and our role of who we are. We are not in charge. It's not my life. Paul says, Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Go back and read it. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. It's not my life anymore. I don't get to pick and choose all these things. It's a calling. He just told us this in the earlier verses. Live a life worthy of the calling that I have placed on your life. You have a purpose. You were created for a reason. The reason you were created was to exemplify God, to know him, 
and then to tell others about him, live as a witness for him. And so that's what our life is about. Our life is not about possessions. Our life is not about accumulation of stuff. Our life is not what we leave behind to someone else in the way of those same things. There's more to our life than that. There's something that goes way beyond our life and will affect generations and generations and generations. Brother Paul, how many years have you been in the ministry? Since 52. All right, so almost 70 years. Man has been in the ministry almost 70 years. How, is, was Friday? Was Friday was your, your birthday? You turned 89, right? 89 years old. Almost 70 years in the ministry. That's an impact for the kingdom of God. How many people in Flowery Branch know Brother Paul? Everybody. Everybody knows Brother Paul. That's all I ever had to say. I go to the church where Brother Paul is emeritus, Pastor Emeritus. Oh. Brother Paul is still doing it. Still out there. On Wednesday night, we had a prayer request for him with someone that he had shared. He shared his faith with his therapist that's taking care of him for one of the ailments that he has. Nobody gets away from Brother Paul, do they? He shares his faith. He's living it out. The very existence of his life is for the call and glory of God. That's who he should be. That's what our lives should be about. Those are the things. That's having our priorities in the right order. That's doing what we're called to do. That's being who we're called to be. That's our role. That's knowing that and responding to that. James 2.19 says this. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. This should give us pause believe. So when you walk up to someone and you ask a simple question, do you believe in God? More than likely the answer is going to be, yeah. Probably still in this point in time in our culture, about 70 to 80% would answer that way. There's a lot of nuns out there. They don't believe anything. But probably 70 to 80% would answer yes. That's not deep enough. We've just scratched the surface. Do you believe in the triune God? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that he was raised again on the third day? That he lived a sinless life, was born of a virgin? Why? Because all these things make it so that you can go to heaven, that your life can be holy. Without those things, a man died for a man, or a man died for a woman. And if he's just a normal man, he's not the Son of God, then he is not a sacrifice that's worthy for us to be able to pay the sin debt for us to go to heaven. The Bible has to be true. And just like we talked about last week, last week for, for there to be one Lord, there has to be dogma. There has to be things that we cannot deny or pass on. Without it, we have no faith. The demons believe, and they're scared. 
When the Old Testament talks about fear of God, it's not for us to be frightened of him. That word fear is awe and reverence. We need to have a holy fear of the Lord. That's a righteous fear. That's knowing that he is holy and we are not. And the recognition, the recognition of that should frighten us for what we're doing wrong so that we might do that which is right. The last thing is this. Not only is he our creator, not only is he our authority, the one authority, he's the one judge. Our justice, <coughs> our justice or salvation. We worry too much. We worry way too much about what other people think. We worry way too much about what we look like. Or what we're going to wear. Or what people might say about us. There's only one authority. Our life is an audience of one. The only one that's watching is God. And we traipse around in the shadows of the world thinking that we can avoid him. Avoid him. But we can't. He sees everything. He knows everything. He desires a relationship with us. Why does he want that? Because he wants us to have salvation in our life. Salvation is not only going to heaven. Scripture says this. says that you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You have been saved because Jesus Christ has died on the cross and raised again on the third day. Hallelujah. He's, he's covered the sin debt for us. You've been saved. If you believe that and trust in him as your savior, then you have been saved. You are being saved. That's called sanctification. It's the process of our lives where God makes us more Christ-like. You don't have any patience? I'm going to teach you that. You don't have any self-control? I'm going to teach you that. You don't know how to love or have peace or joy or hope or faith? I'm going to give you those things. Paul says in Galatians, those are fruits of the what? Spirit of God. Only comes from a relationship with him. You will have no peace in your life without God. Without God, we have no hope. Without God, Christ Jesus, we have no faith. So without all these things, we lose every aspect of that. With him, we gain all of that. So the, the process of sanctification is making us more like him. That is a walk or a journey. Ephesians 4, chapter 1. Therefore, I say to you, brothers, walk in a manner worthy. Just walk. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't check out. Don't quit. Just walk. 
How many steps a day are you supposed to take to stay healthy? What do they say? Come on, y'all got to know this, right? How many's got Fitbits on? Do you have your watches on? You're counting right now, aren't you? Y'all are all moving your arms just so that y'all could get some. <laughs> if we're going to sit here for an hour and listen to this guy, I'm going to get something out of it. Uh, you're doing that, aren't you? You're shaking your watch over there, aren't you, Paula, right? I'm getting miles out of this. He doesn't even know. It don't work that way. It don't work that You've tried it, though, haven't you? There you go. Vivian's like, I know. I've shook it for an hour and a half, and it didn't give me any steps whatsoever. We know everything about what we need to do to make ourselves healthier. Scripture tells us exactly what we need to do to be more spiritually fit, and we refuse to do it. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Requires discipline. Requires devotion. So for us to be sanctified, for us to become more like Christ, we got to do something. we got to be the people that God calls us to be. And then that flows through our life to go out and to do something. And then you shall be saved. You will be glorified one day. One day you will meet the Father. One day you will meet your Creator. One day you will see again those who have gone before you in the faith. Isn't that going to be cool? That's going to be the coolest thing, I think. To be reunited with not only those that we know, but to be able to be to see all of those who've gone before us. You know, I think of all the people that we don't even think about. Like all the people that have laid down their lives. Those people that went to war to defend this country and lost their lives at 17, 18, 20, 22, 25, who left behind children, spouses. Those who defend us each and every day of our lives, who rush into buildings when they're on flames, in flames, who go out there on the streets and try to protect us from those who want to harm us. There's so many defenders. Are we defenders of the faith? Do we defend our faith with that kind of veracity? When I was younger... It was very easy to come out of my mouth. Oh, I'll die for my faith. Would you die for your faith? Would you lay it all down? Paul said he would give up his life as a ransom for all of those Israelites who were separated from the Father. He would go spend eternity separated from the Lord if all of them could know the Lord. Would you do that? Those are hard things. I know this. One day we will be reunited. And the glorification of this is that one day the Lord will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. To all of you guys, he's going to say, get in here, Tim. You're lucky. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Y'all really think he's going to say that to me? I'll be heartbroken. I guess it really wouldn't matter at that point. I'd probably be going, "Woohoo! thank you, Jesus. I made it. That's right. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love 
which he loved us. And when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Unmerited favor. God showed favor towards us. And although we were all dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive in Christ. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Note the start of both of those passages. Did you do anything? No. But God. But God. John 1, 9 and 10, then verses 12 and 13 says this. There was a, the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Every man has the opportunity. That enlightenment of Christ is for everyone. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. There he was speaking about, John speaking about how Christ was involved in creation, and the world did not know him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We are not in control. I cannot tell you what's going to happen to you when we walk out of here today. I can't even bend over and pick something off the ground without hurting my back. Do you think I have the power and the authority to help you? We're weak. But the great mercy of all of this is that Scripture says, when we are weak, he is strong. In our weakness, through our weakness, in spite of us, he still uses us. But God. But God. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for the, just the chance to come and to worship you this morning. There's plenty of other places everybody could have been. For some reason, you drew everyone that was in this room to this place today. There's no one here by chance. You've called us to be gathered together so that we might give you praise, honor, and glory. Father, I pray now that as your word has been spoken, and as the songs that we have sung have been sung to you, I pray that you'll move in our hearts. I don't know how you're going to do that. Because I don't know where the heart is of everybody that's in this room. But Father, if there's someone who needs to know you personally, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. Where they get off the self-centered throne of their lives and put you at the seat of their life. Father, if there's someone here who's parked it on the side of the road, and needs to get back in the game. Father, I pray that today will be the day that you spur them back through the power of the Holy Spirit into your service, knowing that they've been called with a purpose to live for you. Father, I thank you so much for the examples that have gone before us and the example of someone like Paul Wade who's in this room. As long as there's blood pumping in our lives, and our hearts, our minds, our mouth is moving. May we be living for your glory.
These things we pray now and ask in Christ's name. Amen.